It doesn't matter if you are in Saudi Arabia or if you are in China. There is always an interest from them. There is always something interesting that you can pick up. This is Exploring Leaders, episode 27, with senior executive, advisor and author Erik Nogling. Erik will share his story and his vast international leadership experiences, working in many countries and leading businesses all over the world, inspiring you to take responsible leadership in the digital age. wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale, involve to innovate, and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders podcast. The experienced team at Degosian interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degosian founder Lizalette Engstam who is also an independent board chair and director, researcher, author, and advisor, asks the questions. Our guest today is senior executive advisor and author, Eric Nogling. Eric has a background from executive leadership positions in major international IT and telecommunication companies originating from both US and Europe, with significant work experiences from US, Latin America, Western and Central Europe and the Middle East, as well as the extensive time spent within Eastern Europe and Africa, and with business focus on different aspects of commercial management related to customers. Eric has authored a book that shares stories from working in many countries and many of the related learnings. Eric is passionate about the dynamics of multicultural workforces, the importance of having the right people, what to do if you don't, the embedment of sustainability in operations. This episode focuses on his journey and insights he found useful when collaborating with many of the top companies, leaders and boards. So warm welcome, Erik. You have a long executive leadership career and you worked mainly in the IT and telecom businesses and you worked for European companies, you worked for American companies, but you also worked all across the world and you lived on many places. And the other area that I find interesting is that you have focused so much on the commercial leadership side. So I thought we would start with, if you can just let us know, what has taken you to where you are today? Oh, it's a long story, so let's yeah. not spend too much. But it really started in the early days after high school when I got a grant to go to the United States of America to, for one year of study at one of the universities over there, not one of the most fancy ones, but still. It's planted a seed in myself. This is something I want to do more of. And the, the Swedish environment all of a sudden seemed too small. So it was an obvious thing to do when I got my graduation to accept actually a, an offer from one company to start as a trainee with a focus of going abroad and working abroad. So that was my first professional step, so to speak. And ever since I've been on that road, and that's a long time ago, Yeah, <laughs> 1976. <laughs> 
and it brought you to so many things. So one of the things we will discuss in this pro- in this podcast episode is also some insights from a book that you have just released and that you have written that is actually taking up some of these really interesting questions. And it's a book with a lot of interesting short stories, so it's quite easily read. And can you share some of the insights that people will get by reading this book? Oh, it's, it's what shall we call it? It's a menu of different things. I started to have a look at how many times have I been traveling abroad. And I made an estimate. Obviously, I don't have a, a specific chart showing where I've been and all that. But it turned out to be approximately 500 international trips. Having worked in sales, having worked in other things. So I started to write it down for fun. And mainly because I wanted to share with my five grandchildren, who was grandpa? Mm-hmm. And also for some others who, who might be interested. It turned up as you write a book. It wasn't a book to start with. When you write down things, this whole head starts to work again. Yeah. And it picks up other things that you had really forgot. And it turned out that there, there was about 50 that could possibly mm. serve the purpose. A broad palette of activities mm. ranging from death-threatening situations I've been in to actually missing meeting in Australia by 24 hours. Mm. And we also added a few of the more spectacular things that you get as expat when you can actually move out, Mm. use your time abroad to see new things. And I had to stop there because it just became too much. Maybe there will be a sequel. But it's fantastic. And I think it's it's obviously value and fortunate for you that you have been able to do that. But people can pick up things just from one or two stories and become interested in just visiting those places, either privately or in work. So it's it's like a little inspiration book as well. Could be, I think. One of the things that you learn is that when you think you know about the country, when you have lived there for a few years, you realize how little, and it doesn't matter what country it is. I've been to the US, you grow up looking at Fred Flintstone and whatnot, and you think what Mm. the US is all about. Mm. Then you live there and you realize that it is that Mm. and so much more. Indeed. Uh, So what surprised you most in working in all of these international leadership positions? Well, surprising, perhaps not, but there has always been an opportunity to meet people who you can relate to, Mm. you can talk to and learn from and educate to a certain extent. It doesn't matter if you are in Saudi Arabia or if you are in China, there is always an interest from them. There is always something interesting that you can pick up Right. It may be very different. The culture, you cannot and must not meet with somebody from a certain Middle East country and start talking business immediately. It takes an hour of tea drinking before you can get going. 
Whereas if you start drinking tea in China, perhaps you can do that, but they usually don't have the time to spend. So mm. it's very different. It's very mm. local. There are some things that are common. Mm. And that is what you have to use when you do, for example, change management. Yeah. Some things must be the same. Yeah. And what are some of those things? Because you have worked a lot with actually transforming and trying to harmonize some of the work processes across the world. What are some of the things that you believe that? There are a number of things. One of the things is that you have to value and understand your situation. Mm. Uh, Change, as you know, is very simple. You have to understand where you are, where you're going, and how to get there. That's it. (laughs) But how do you understand where you are if you don't talk to people, Mm. if you don't read, if you don't find what we call in the intelligence service two or more bearings that point Mm. in the same direction? So, for example... Every large company has its directives and its do's and don'ts. Sometimes they're extensive and sometimes they're very focused. My view on this is if you can focus on a few things, such what we used to call the non-negotiable core, and then allow people out there to elaborate around these core items, Mm then you're much more likely to have a successful activity. And things that you have to look at are obviously economics. Profit, cash flow, all these wonderful things that you never learn in in my education where I had to find myself. But also the value of people. If you go, for example, if you want to know what things are really like, go talk to people. Don't talk only to the executives, Mm. to the people who actually do what you intend to change or Mm. outsource or whatever you want to do. They usually know Mm. pretty much what is wrong, what Mm. should be done. They may not have the same opinion, Mm. but if you put all that together into a package, you're in good shape. Finding out where you are is, in my experience, one of the most difficult things Mm. to do. Whereas sketching where you want to be is, it's expensive because you bring in a lot of fancy uh, consultants like myself, Mm. you, (laughs) (laughs) and then you pay the bill and you have a wonderful target. But the question is, have you taken into consideration Mm. what it means? move mm. from where you are yeah but sometimes you don't know mm. where you want to be mm. so economics is one thing the people the human resources mm. do you have the people to do this do you right. have the executive team to do right. this? Do you have the experts to do this yeah changing we both moved from product to, to system sales and i've done that twice Mm. and it is not easy Mm. to change that you need a totally different set of people to complement what you already have some can be educated into something else 
Hmm. So it cannot, it must not. Yeah? So the people, the economics, and also, let's not forget the customers. Who are you dealing with? Yeah. My, one of my favorite stories, if there is time for it. Absolutely. My dear friend who was starting as a commercial manager towards one of the large firms in the Middle East. So he was British. He was sitting there elaborating. This is what I think we should do. And this is how I view the situation. He, he, he had made his homework and the customer was patiently waiting for him to end. And then he said, I listen to you very carefully. I agree that you have a good situation under control. I think you might have some interesting points there. And I know that you do as I tell you, or else you go to jail. Oops. <laughs> Full stop in the discussion. Here was somebody who was wanted to make a point. Yeah. A really harsh point. <laughs> a really harsh point. Now, the thing was that it was in the telecom business, of course, mm. where you, in essence, have only 200 large customers. Right. In the, so you have to be very attentive to mm. what does the customer say mm. and try to work that into something that works with your views on Things like technology, pricing, culture, all these wonderful yeah. things. And then you put all that together and then you're ready. You can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degotian blog, which you can find at degotian.com. I love your stories, as you know. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you that I think that people have very strong views about, but maybe don't really come close to, and that is that the laws are actually quite different in different countries. And the corporate law or the company has attained their view of a law in the country. How do you handle that, the must in that, and how do you work with your customers on that? Can you share a bit with your experience on that? For sure. First of all, you think that uh, it's all the same in, in the Western world. It's not, obviously. Mm. You have the, the Anglo-Saxon version of the, what is done and what can be done, and you have other versions. But of course, if you enter into other parts of the world where Sharia laws and uh, you know all traditions weigh heavily, you just have to have local expertise. Mm. I would not dare. We had a great example where we were looking at refreshing our agreements with the customer because they just didn't. It didn't make sense. So we had a local consultant evaluate. Mm. Actually, we had two to make sure that we were doing the right thing. Mm. What is the risk if we embark into this particular change? Mm. One of them came back saying that, oh, your risk can be sized at about 1 billion US dollars. Oops, we said, that's a lot. Yeah. And then there was another one who said, nah, it, you don't have to worry. This, this is not a big problem. So you never know in yeah. some parts of the world what might be 
and might not be a risk, for example. Mm. So you need to have a trusted advisor. Mm. And I think that also for us who are coming from Sweden with quite a firm legal structure mm. and where everything that is not prohibited is okay, more or less. Yeah. And you move into the UK or the US where things are not as simple. You have the common law. Yeah. You have the common law and it is interpreted mm. a zillion times in different uh, yeah. the different courts. And those decisions are still valid. So it's to me it has been a wake-up call. Mm. I was as I started in sales. And there everything was simple. Yeah. Out there. Get the agreement and off you go. Moving into commercial management was like opening a new door mm. to see how difficult it could be, mm. how you must understand what you're doing, mm. prepare carefully, mm. be ready to negotiate. Nothing is foreign, nothing is given. Mm. You just have to give and take and make sure that you don't do something stupid. Yeah. It's very easy. I've done it. <laughs> yeah. So that's another way to learn, right? To actually be allowed to do mistakes. Oh my. And of course, as much as you can, bring in people mm. who have been there before you and at least listen to them. You have worked as a commercial and sales leader and executive in a lot of parts of the world. Mm. What do you think is one of the myths about the type of job you have done that isn't true it is it all tango, tango boils down to to change doesn't it if you want to move into actual change management you need mm. to understand the local situation mm. are also understanding the company desires mm. where do we want to go and mm. why do we want to go there mm. the myth i think is that you can hammer in a certain one-size-fits-all in 140 right. countries. <clears throat> I know, I've tried it. <laughs> Didn't work. Yeah. Many things can be and must be taken into consideration. The other thing that you have to do is to carefully explain where you want to go. Say that here we are, this is the picture we are looking at. Mm. This little corner down here is the price you have to pay. Yeah. In here, you have no independence whatsoever. Be it the reporting, the pricing, be it this powers reserved, as we used yeah. to say in the old days. <clears throat> you are more than free to mm. actually elaborate yourselves. Mm. However, let's stay in touch. Let's make sure that we know what we're doing mm. so that we can share between the different countries. Mm. Many countries claim to be very, and perhaps you read the story about my visit to the, a big country in the West. Yeah. <laughs> where they said that this is something that you have invented at head office. Hmm. So I said, okay, we are very <laughs> different. In what way are you different? I wrote it down on the whiteboard. And then we said, you know what? All these things I've seen in more than 75% of the countries that I've been. 
you may not be all that unique mm. and you may not be all that advantageous trying yeah. to be so unique. The power of joining forces in particular when you approach global customers is very important. Mm. So the myth I think that I'm coming to is that one size does not fit all. Mm. But part of the one size fits all must be common. And the yeah. rest can be shared between yeah. different people. And when they've done something really dumb in one part of the world, it is educational for people who have not yet started. Yeah. As is if you've done something really well. Yeah. And you can take that and put your little spice and flavor on it and make it yours. Mm. Um, funny story, we did an enormous uh, attack on capital employed. As everybody knows, it's important. Yeah. It is boring as well, in particular for sales. And in, if you don't write your agreements in the proper way and execute them in the proper way, you are uh, frito, as you say in some countries. Now, how do you approach a modern company with such a boring subject? Yeah. We actually sent a physical letter. Um, with a brochure. So that was new. People had not received anything but emails. Yeah. And it's like, well, what on earth is this? <laughs> who, who is doing this? <laughs> so, whether you are in one or other country, mm. you may be successful in different ways, but the core has to remain the same. Give you another example sales management. Yeah. Sales management. Isn't that fun? To be a sales manager and to be able to ask your salespeople to on a regular basis tell them tell me the truth of what does your outlook look like <laughs> what does your your next year contain in terms of opportunities what is the <clears throat> risk and how big chance is it that you win and who wants to do that yeah no sales. at least no salespeople <laughs> no. How do you approach people? Well, there you have a pretty firm uh, non-negotiable force. Yeah. Because the value mm. to people managing the business mm. is enormous. It is. On the other hand, I know that Mr. and so he always or she always puts a lid on everything. <laughs> Then there are others who are hopelessly enthusiastic. Yeah. So you need to understand where does this come from? Mm. Mm. Apply some intelligence or at least some experience. Mm. And then you end up with a decent picture of mm. what might be the future. Mm. Then, of course, war starts and pandemics uh, turn up. But at least you have a base from which to operate. Yeah, I think it's super interesting how on that topic, you just ask how many do you need to have of the opportunities early in the pipeline to actually get to where you need to get to? And most people have no idea, <laughs> right? It's super guesswork. And I think 
if you turn it around, there's two things that's really important for salespeople. And that is to actually know that. How many things do I need to dig up to actually get to the end? Right. But the other thing that I if I look back on, on all of my career, which also has been a lot in sales, when the good people have coached me, they have also volunteered to help. Oh, yeah. And if they're not, if they don't know anything about the deals or the customers, etc., it's really hard for them to actually volunteer to be part of supporting that. And of course, you don't want to have five hundred people coming in, but at least some really good ones that can that can also have more intelligent ears towards the customer. It's that in in, in all kinds of leadership, isn't it? I have always been self-contained in a way that I don't want anybody to support me unless I need it. Yeah. And then there are others who value constant participation of executives or mentors or whoever, formal or informal leaders. And it's so different. And so... I think anybody who says that a leader is a leader with a big L and he looks like or she looks like this is wrong. Yeah. We had a, one of the guys that I had working for me. He was being silent with the customers all the time. And they were silent as well, looking at the sunset, having a beer. He made more business than anybody else. Yeah. So you never know. No, you never know. I think that but, is a very it, interesting conclusion. But a leader can be so many things. There are so many kinds of leadership. Mm -hmm. For example, you and I have both been part of the big, uh, should we say, the big disasters at big companies. Mm -hmm. 40% of the staff have been laid off. Right. It is not the time for vast discussions. It is go do. Yeah. However, And I learned from one of my mentors this thing, that taking the time, if Mm. you have it, Mm. to talk to people, to Mm. listen to people, Mm. and to form something that people can understand and accept, reluctantly or not, but still accept, then implementation is so much quicker and so much more successful. Now, if you don't have the time, then... That is a luxury that you cannot count on. No, but you can start do it as soon as you're out of the hoods. Oh my, oh my. And also if you see where the train is moving, you can start early. To get even more value out of the podcast series Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degotian website, which you can find at degotian.com. I wanted to ask you, Miss, I know you've been very engaged also in sustainability. Uh I wanted to ask you around what your engagement has been there and what you found important in that topic. Sustainability is quite a wide thing. Mm. It It is, if you look at the goals of the sustainability community, there are plenty. Far too many to actually be operational. I actually say that I can handle three goals or possibly four. Mm. Nevertheless, sustainability is important. It is vital, perhaps not to an old timer like me, 
but to my kids and to my mm. grandchildren. Mm. This is something that we have to do. And it is, in my view, the biggest change program ever launched. Now, if I look at what happens with these huge things, they are taken by people who want to make a big mystery out of it, mm. want to make it big, who want to make it very complicated. And it is big and complicated, but usually the way it has been approached is either by fake it mm. or by making a huge and enormous activity. You appoint mm. sustainability vice president. You educate every in every detail that you can possibly think of. Mm. And then you think you're done. If we back up, you remember mm. the quality approach when we were talking quality all the time. Mm. You did exactly that. You appointed a quality executive. Yeah. You had a totally new set of words. You, mm. you have a system to follow up and all these mm. wonderful things. Mm. And it didn't work because it had to be embedded mm. into the day-to-day -day procedure of the company. Mm. It had to be there as part, we say, part of the DNA. But yeah. in reality, it's all about getting it into the processes, getting mm. it into the day-to-day -day operations, mm. and following up. Like mm. I see that happening a lot. You appoint big bosses, mm. big staff work, big mm. systems, big this and big that. But are the people on board, are they operational? If you are in procurement, for example, right. how do you change from fill, fulfilling the specification and having the lowest price mm. into something that is different? Mm. I'm part of this SPP movement uh, where we are working together with large companies and small companies like myself, trying to figure out how to move about. Mm. trying to capture good ideas that have been mm. launched by companies you haven't heard about doing lot big things in sustainability. Right. They may not speak all that loudly. Yeah. But they do. Yeah. And they do continuously. And they do it all through their corporations. Mm. And I think this is the big absolutely most important thing to start mm. with an area that you think you can control yeah and expand from there have a target for sure yeah target is easy but mm. start with something reasonably small yeah important that you think may impact your own company and your partner yeah. And do you, to that point, is there any company or companies that you see that has started good on that journey in that sense? Oh, my. There are plenty. Bayer uh, Medicine mm -hmm. Company is doing very well. Surprisingly, British Petroleum is very much on the front line. Mm. You have a number of large corporations, mm. but also small corporations. Mm. Now, I don't have a good example there because mm. I've been 
busy doing other things for a year, but they share that they have a good mastermind, understands both the subject yeah. and their own culture. Is it that makes sense to us? Yeah. Where can we make an impact? Mm. Let's start digging where we are standing mm. and then wait with a huge to tell people later that mm. this is what we have done, it's where we are going from here. Mm. So there is one I've heard a lot of, I'm trying to remember which my mind is gone at times. So no problem. We'll, maybe we can add it to the notes if you can remind it to yourself later on. If we now go over and summarize this thing around that you're trying to run an international company and you're trying to make it a bit more sustainable because the world needs to be a bit more sustainable. What are some recommendations you would like to give to leaders and boards at this time? Oh my, that is an interesting question. The thing is, I truly believe that there is a deal to be made in sustainability. Why do I say that? I have, like I said, four children. I have five grandchildren. Mm. I talk to them. I realize and if they want to go to work mm. with a company or an organization, mm. it has to have a purpose mm. that is bigger than making money. I view again. So if you want to have employees that work for you and that do a good job in the direction that you have chosen, then you need to be honest and truthful mm. and actually do the things that you are talking about and be able to prove it. Mm. On the other hand, if you look at the procurement side from your customers, there's a big movement going on there as well. Mm. There will be a change in many, I'm not saying all, but many procurement organizations saying that in order for us to be sustainable and to be able to talk about it, we must make sure that the people who are delivering things to us are at least as sustainable in their ambitions. Yeah. So if you want to have employees that are worth something, if you want to have customers that you want to keep, and even get some new customers, mm. this is the road to go. And what mm. does that all compute to? Well, growth and profitability. Yeah. So either you believe in it, I do. Yeah. You know, and then I think you might find out that you're wrong. Yeah, very good and very interesting. And it's also, as you say, it's a belief that the world can be better and that we can help as businesses help make it better. Now, people who are interested in reading your book, where can they find it? And could they possibly follow you somehow? And how could they do that? And if they're interested in getting in contact with you, how do they do that? Uh, the book in itself. It is a very costly one, almost $4. <laughs> you can find it on Amazon.com or on Amazon.de if you want to buy it in German marks. It's an ebook. And it's remind a, people of the title again. The Work Journey and then 50 Short Stories from a Long Professional Life. And my name is Eric Nordlich. 
So that can be found there. So if you want to have a look at it, it's it's easy reading. Mm. It might give you something that you can use. If you want to follow me, I have done a number of things on LinkedIn. I am not running podcasts or anything like that. I've written a number of articles. Mm. I think LinkedIn is the best way to approach me, unless you want to talk to me directly, and then we make sure. It's eric.nordling at nxbse.se. So let's keep it there, I think. Mm. I will start again after a pause of one year in my senior advisor uh, activities. Mm. As always, when you start something or restart something, mm. you need to make it attractive. So I will come out in the coming weeks with a bit of interesting proposals saying that, give me a day. Yeah. I won't charge you that much. All I will charge you is my expenses. And then let's see if I make right. sense to you. And I think it's so interesting. And so I, and I have a lot of good, we work together. So I have a lot of good experiences from you. And in fact, I have brought you in when some of my companies have been in huge trouble. And it's been really hard from the board level to actually even understand where's the key problem here and why, why does it come why doesn't it become better? And you're fantastic in actually establishing trust with leaders to actually format into action plans, which is probably the most important thing that that you can have also as a board. I think the warning, though, is that I'm brutally honest. Yeah, because you have to be. <laughs> you have to be. I like to work with things that are difficult or fun or yeah. both. Yeah. But in order to get anywhere in a difficult situation, you yeah. have to be very straightforward. Yes. I've, I've been thrown out of boardrooms, mm. which was fine because they couldn't take my message. Mm. But if they had taken my message, mm. they would have been in a better situation today. Yeah. yeah. So it's all about, I'm not, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a very friendly person, but I can yes, be you are. in a friendly way. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, if if you're not prepared to open up a discussion with mm. frank and and, uh, and mm. straightforward discussion, mm. then I'm out. Yeah, and so I have a final question, which I ask all of my guests, and that is: if you were a furniture, what would you be? That's a good question. I think I usually want to stand next to the executives giving good advice, mm. a good place to sit down and think. Mm. So I guess I would be, if not a sofa, at least a good chair. A comfortable chair. That's a very... To sit down and think and yeah. reflect. Yeah. But there's too little reflection going on. Yes. Thank you so much, Eric, for sharing all of this with us. Thank you so much. And... We look forward to see what it is that you will come out with in, in terms of offerings as well. Thank you, Eric. So do I. Thank you yeah. so much, Lisa. Thank and you. Best of success with your activities. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by Degotion with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, 
Join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration. For any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you like to listen to, contact us via our website, degotion.com, or via social media as LinkedIn or Twitter.